I wonder what the greatest experience is that you've ever had in your life, if you actually thought about it for a moment. What is some great experiences or the greatest experience that you have actually had? Maybe it was your wedding day. You're standing there at the altar. For Mitchell, it was your wedding day. Great. Your wife is just over there, close enough to give you like a little thing on the back of the head. Um, it could be your wedding day. You're just waiting at the altar and you know your life is about to change from that point. Maybe for some of us, it was actually like the day or the time where we actually held our first child for the very first time. I still remember that. The very first time holding Kayla in my arms and thinking to myself, this is actually real. What, what? I shouldn't be a dad. Like, who in the world would give me a little baby? But, you know, we figure it out. For others, it might be um, just having a conversation with chat GPT. Has anyone done that recently? That's one of those odd experiences where you can actually hold a conversation with chat. Does anyone not know what chat GPT is? By the Where have you been? <laughs> it's kind of this weird experience, which is like weird, exciting, and kind of like scary all at the same time. For anyone who doesn't know, artificial intelligence, chat GPT, different to like Siri, different to other artificial intelligence in that you can hold a conversation with this. So I was like having this conversation and said, okay, ask me some questions to get to know me. And it actually did. It's like freaking me out. I'm having a, I've got this, like, this conversation with like artificial intelligence. That's a bit of an odd experience. Well, this week I obviously spent a bit of time thinking about that question. What is the greatest experience that I've actually had? And I was actually very surprised with my answer because the greatest experience I've ever had has actually happened many times in different situations. It's the experience of being welcome, of being welcome. I think about my marriage. I'm still absolutely amazed at every single day I am just welcomed so generously and so graciously by Andrea to participate and to share in this world that we get to create together. I'm welcomed into this, into this life that like, we, we get to create something that has never existed ever before. I wonder if you've ever, this is not a marriage series, but I wonder if you've ever thought about that with your marriage. Your marriage has never existed before. It is unique it is yours. Go forth and have a fantastic marriage in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, you can have a terrible marriage or you can have a great marriage. I'm like, let's have a great one. But have you thought about that? I'm amazed by that. My children, Kayla and Jackson, I'm amazed that every day I'm welcomed by them to enter into their beautiful lives. And when I enter into their lives, it's like this relationship where simultaneously they are and I am, we are discovering who they are. I think we need to be very careful as parents that we can think, I need a shape and I need to mold. We need to be very careful because as we are trying to guide with wisdom, we are discovering who they are. At the very same time, they're discovering who they are. What an incredible relationship. What an incredible paradigm to be welcomed into. As a pastor, I am your pastor, still. <laughs> I, I, I hope that, that I'm welcomed by you and, and, and you're welcomed by me, that, that we are together collectively as this sacred family called the church. We are journeying with Jesus and we are trying to figure it out, aren't we? Has anyone got it all figured out? I meet some Christians sometimes and it, it appears to me that they think they've got it all figured out. I'm like, I'm still working this thing out. 
And I want to be part of a community where we're walking together and we're still trying to figure out what does it mean to be resurrection people in Perth 2023, living a different kind of humanity, demonstrating prophetically this is flourishment in a world that's decaying. I want to be part of that kind of... Anyone else? You can, like, talk back. We are in Armadale. <laughs> you got to talk back to a brother, you know what I'm saying? What hurts most? Knowing that I am most certainly not welcome. That really hurts. Rejection, doesn't it? Especially if at one time, welcome was offered to you. That really hurts, doesn't it? This idea of welcome. Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've been using a couple of key thoughts that I want to use to actually frame 2023 for us to actually, once again, try to figure out how we're going to be faithful in living this resurrection life. And um, you can look at your notes, it's all there, but um, a couple of weeks ago, we started this, and I, and, and I started off by saying, okay, if, if the Bible had a blurb, what would that blurb be? Because I know when someone comes to me and says, Dave, you need to read this, my very first question is, okay, cool, what's it about? Right? We're not very good at telling people what the story is about. And we actually said, what is the story of God about? What is the blurb? The first slide is this, is that God is establishing, it'll come up, there we go. God is establishing his rule over creation through humanity for his glory. From Genesis 1, verse 1, all the way to, to Revelation. That's what this story is about. What is God doing? God is establishing his rule on earth through humanity for his glory. The problem is we don't go back to the beginning. We start the story somewhere in the middle or like three, three quarters of the way through. We don't understand what the story is about. Imagine if you actually gave someone a Bible for the very first time and the obvious question is, okay, what is this story about? And you are actually able to tell them. I have this suspicion that most people are handed Bibles and handed scripture and they are not told what this story is about. And they don't have the context to actually understand what God is doing in this world. And because of that, because it's a story, it's a story about God, it's a story about you, but it's also a story about creation. That means that God is partnering with us to do something magnificent for his glory. So the notions of just let go and let God or let Jesus take the wheel, they're actually a departure from the biblical narrative. Because if we actually let go of the wheel and don't partner with God, how is he going to get any glory? Because he has determined that I'm going to establish my rule on earth through my precious people. And when they do that, I will be glorified. Amen? Amen. And this is a long story. This is a long game, isn't it? It's a really long story. So are there any reference points that are going to help us understand this? And what we try to do today is to actually use a very familiar framework, um, the framework of creation, fall, redemption, but use some contemporary language and actually try to frame what this looks like. And the next slide will be um, telling us what it is. The way we framed it for this year is, um, sorry, just the, um, the goal, mess, plan. Goal, mess, plan. And if you notice that, in the goal, everyone knows what a goal is. We've got four chapters in the Bible that tell us about the goal. Four chapters. The mess, we've got three and a bit chapters. Genesis 3, a fall on earth. Genesis 6 is a fall in the heavenlies. Um, Genesis 11, Tower of Babel, it's a fall on arrogance. And like, there's Deuteronomy, which gives a little bit of a commentary of what happened there. And the plan is actually the rest of the Bible. Where do we tend to spend most of our time in Bible study? With the plan. And we miss the goal. Hence, 
were wanting to go through Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 to actually talk about the goal because Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is packed with meaning because there's already a plan in place. The things are static. Things, uh, things are not static. Things are dynamic. God has begun a project and he has a vision in mind because he is establishing his rule over creation through humanity for his glory. So when we talk to each other, when we understand and try to work out our salvation, we need to understand this. I'm saved. Praise God. Hallelujah. What are you saved to? You're saved to the goal. What's the goal? That's what we're trying to figure out. What are you saved from? You're saved from the mess. I get that. But now that you're saved as well, what are you now part of? The plan. So that's the framework that we're trying to actually do that. So last week we talked about part of this goal from Genesis 1 verse 1 and 2. And we talked about this idea of chaos or order that brings flourishment. From the very first sentence of the Bible, it tells us about chaos and God moving in chaos in order to bring order so that humanity can flourish. And the question from last week was, what are you part of? What are you an agent of in your marriage, in your life, in your workplace? What is that like next step you're about to take, that next action you're about to do? Is that about to bring about chaos or is that going to bring about some order that's going to lead to flourishing? You can actually apply that everywhere. And today we're going to talk about welcome. Welcome. And there is a method in the madness. I'm actually leading you to some really key theological points as we move in the coming weeks. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. Again, they're in your app. And uh, I just want us to pay attention to it. You can even just listen to it in your hearing. Genesis 1 verse 20 to 21. And God said, let the water team. Everyone say team team with living creatures and let birds fly over the earth across the vault of the sky so god created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which water teems and moves about in it according to their own kind and every winged bird according to its own kind and god saw it was good Verse 24 to 25, and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kind, the livestock according to its kind, and the creatures that move along the ground according to their kind. And God said that it was good. Verse 26, and then God said, let us, make, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. And lastly, verse 31, God saw that all he had made and it was very good. And there was the evening and there was the morning, the sixth day. Mentioned last week that this creative narrative from Genesis, this is not data to be held and then weaponized in a pursuit of actually combating the perceived ills of our day. This is actually epic poetry, which is supposed to spark our imagination, enlarge our vistas, so we can actually see things that we haven't previously seen before. Um, and we can actually see that even in the English, as you look at the repetition, as you look at the rhythm, as you look at the structure of it. So as we go through this, we want to pay attention to some of the key words and some of the things that we have read. When God talks about his creation, he says something pretty significant. He says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And on the seventh time, funnily enough, that seven, we're talking poetry here, it's very good. He's looking at his creation. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Collectively, 
this is very good. Really, really good. Really good. Genesis opens with a good creation. A good creation of a loving God who welcomes into existence a world of creatures who are different to himself. That's a really cool little detail. He welcomes creatures who are so different. The idea of otherness is celebrated, it is welcomed, and it's rejoiced over. Think about it. They're like seas. There aren't just fish in the seas, they are teeming. There aren't just animals, there are swarms. This abundance, this flourishing, and it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. There's rejoicing, there's celebration, there's looking and saying, mm, man, look what I just did. That looks very good. Really, really good. And this detail is actually really important, especially in a couple of weeks, we're going to start talking about this cultural mandate, Genesis 1 verse 28, where when there are these words that are used about ruling and reigning and dominion. So understanding this concept of welcome, which is actually right there from the beginning, is going to be very important when we actually go and actually talk about humanity's made the image of God. We're given this cultural mandate to rule and to reign. What does that mean? Because we are imaging God. So we need to look at God as how he rules, how he reigns, because the way we see him do it is the way we should do it. It's a very, very important thing. The problem, of course, is that that particular verse, and I'll slow, we'll go into it in a bit, that, that, that particular verse is very contentious. It has a lot of baggage. Verse 28, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and every living creature that moves on the ground. The reason why this command is contentious is because throughout church history, we seem to have separated that command from what we see of our gracious God in the story. And because of that, this command to have dominion has been twisted so often into this ideology of mastery and the misuse of power, not just with people, but also with creation as well. So there's been accusations that have been thrown at Christians for a long time now and still accusations that are thrown today that Christians in the past and even today have been accused of neglecting the environment. Christian masculinity has been accused of treating women and children very poorly. There's been an accusation that, that Christian mission at times has been coupled with colonialism. And there's been this uncomfortable accusation that evangelicalism has this tinge of racism because from the very beginning it was actually some racism that actually caused it to be born. And, and that makes us very uncomfortable. But for me, if I'm going to be honest, I need to look at church history and say, you know what, there is a bit of weight there because there is some truth there. And I want to be repentant in that. I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I don't want to do that. I want to recognize, I want to acknowledge it. But what I want to do as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ and what I want to do as someone who, who, who's helping to guide a group of people is to actually go back to the story and say, how can we look at the story with fresh eyes to see our God so that when we look at this mandate or what we are to do, that we can do it in a more faithful measure so people aren't hurt along the way. Does that make sense? Um, a theologian, Daniel L. Migliori, um, paraphrases um, God's command like this. And this makes complete sense in the context and in, in the way that Genesis 1 and 2 is actually put forward. He paraphrases it and says this. 
Let your, speaking of humanity, let your faithful ordering of the world image the way in which the gracious God exercises dominion. The way that we order, the way that we form, the way that we feel, the way that we function in the world, let that image the way our gracious God images, a lot works. And that is the appropriate way to look at that word image. In the ancient Near East, an image was a reflection of that deity. So the more clearly we can see our God, the more faithful we can actually be to image the way that God looks at creation and says, you know what, man, that is good. You know, that's very, very, very good. Does that make... What is this dominion of? It's a dominion of care and protection, not a dominion of abuse. It's a summons to wise guardianship rather than selfish indulgence. It's a call to leadership within the commonwealth of creatures rather than a license for exploitation. We are entrusted with care and protection of creatures because God is establishing his rule over creation through humanity for his glory. See how that makes sense? That's why. And what helps us see um, in seeing this in creation is that God welcomes creatures who are other to himself. And he sees it as good. And collectively, he sees it as very good. Very good. Okay, so how does this information shape who I am, who you are? as people who are reclaimed by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, in order that we can live in our original vocation as image bearers of God right here, right now. Here's the one thought. How welcoming am I to the other? How welcoming? How welcoming am I to creatures that are other to me? How welcoming am I to humans who are other? To, I mean, that's hard. Does anyone find that one hard? You know, birds of a feather do flock together, right? You know, love it. Love hanging out with people who are the same, think the same. But what about people who are different? Man, that's not so easy. But that's the question. If I make the confession, as is um, the first line in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, That confession actually says that this free, transcendent God is generous and welcoming. And because that's my God, the question is, I want to image my God. Am I generous? Am I welcoming? If I'm honest, sometimes? Not all the time. But you see, if I have that question in my mind, as we're looking at this, And again, this is actually going to frame what else we're going to see later on. We're going to spend about six weeks just talking about the image, humanity, like later on. But but, but if I can actually start to frame my work like this, this is going to change. This is going to change a whole lot. We agree that God is good, amen? He's good. I agree that God gives his life for others. Yeah. I agree that God allows others to exist alongside and in fellowship with him. And I also agree, I look at scripture, I also agree that God makes room for others. I thank God that he made room for me. Because I know me. I don't belong at that banquet table. 
yeah, I'm a guest. I've been invited. I'm poor in spirit. Makarios, blessed, welcome in. Red carpet, Dave. You acknowledge, you recognize that you're poor in spirit. Will you come on in the kingdom of God? It's yours. Isn't that incredible? How welcoming, how generous. How generous is Jesus? Pharisees over there standing, looking at Jesus, sitting with disreputable sinners and tax collectors and, and pretty much the underground of, of Israel. And they're going like, what is this guy doing? What does Jesus say? Go and learn this from Hosea 6 verse 6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Why do you sacrifice? You sacrifice so you can get close to God. How's your Christology? Where, where is Yahweh in that picture? Yahweh is sitting with the tax collectors and the sinners, the underground of, like, can you imagine? Yahweh is sitting there and the Pharisees are getting their knickers in a twist because they're looking at this rabbi doing this and leading people down this line. They say, you know, if you keep on doing this, Yahweh is never going to come. That was their motive. They wanted Yahweh to come. Yahweh's never going to come. They didn't know. They didn't see. If you just have mercy you would have actually gone and joined the table and you would have been sitting with Yahweh. Come on. Isn't that good? We have been reclaimed. All have sinned and lost the glory of God. All have sinned and lost, but that which is lost has now been reclaimed. We are justified, we are put right, we are rectified, whatever word you want to put there. What does that mean? I am now reclaimed that I can actually step back into that original vocation as an image bearer of God. And if I can see my God as one who is generous and one is welcoming of the other, I can actually do likewise and I am living in flourishment. And I am demonstrating to the world a different way of being human. Because when you put someone in the midst of otherness, how welcoming and how generous is the world? I would dare say how welcoming and how generous has the church been? There are times when we have not done a good job um, in church history. The creation story actually emphasises the goodness and value of creation. Creation is worthy of respect and care. Hospitality involves welcoming, caring for others and recognising their inherent value. And scripture pre presents non-human creatures as the inseparable companions of humanity in creation, reconciliation, and redemption. And we find this throughout the New Testament, Colossians 1, verse 19 to 20. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him, that being Christ, and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, to make peace through his blood shed on the cross. How welcoming am I of the other? I've run out of time. But in your notes, I've actually given a, 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 a description from, um, from a great theologian who actually fleshes out the creation of Adam and Eve and the implications thereof. So read that in your own time. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, but that's the one thought from today. It's called welcome. How welcoming and how generous are we of the other?